This essay is from Cinema Year Zero. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash year zero cinema. What's in the name? Shirley Temple. It's a drink. It's a doll. It's the Hollywood actress who rose to child fame during the 1930s. Her box office hit from 1935 to 1938 with brown eyes and blonde hair. Temple was the quintessential American girl. Though most people recognize her for her tap dancing roles in Bright Eyes, Stand Up and Cheer, The Little Colonel, etc., Temple's origin story in Charles Lamont's baby burlesque films forces viewers to see the cinematic period from a different angle. The baby burlesques were a series of pre code Hollywood one reeler short films that satirize popular motion pictures from Rampage parodying the front page to Tarzan Riff Kid in Africa. Pre-code films are often applauded for their daring content, but the Baby Burlesque series goes further with unnecessarily hypersexualized plots always revolving around children. Think of Lamont's Kid in Hollywood, wherein Temple becomes more like Switrick, an imitation of Marlene Dietrich's cabaret singer from Joseph von Sternberg's Morocco. The plot thickens as Mo Legs' onstage feathery costume resembles that of Dietrich's during her hot voodoo cabaret dance number in Sternberg's Bland Venus. But while the latter is a performance worth praising for its celebration of female sexuality, the same just cannot be said for the three-year-old Temple dancing at the beginning of War Babies. Spoofing Raoul Walsh's What Price Glory a silent comedy drama about two war veterans who compete for the affections of the same woman. Lamont reproduces a bizarre love triangle story with an old child cast and assigns Temple the role of an exotic dancer. This narrative, and pretty much every other baby bullesque's installment, raises questions about child exploitation. Why are children cast in adult roles? Perhaps the answer here is budgetary, as child actors had less demanding salaries. Even if this was to be overlooked, and that is a big if, then does that low budget extend to the lack of costume? Having the children barely clothed doesn't move the plot forward or define the characters. So why did the parents allow their offspring to participate in these projects? Whether for fame, fortune, or post-depression desperation, there are few sources that provide an answer. When one considers that baby burlesques were comedies shown right before the main film, it feels even more sinister. Where is the joke in having toddlers in diapers waltz around the set exchanging lollipops for kisses among other disturbing scenarios? The premise is none other than children behaving as adults, an offbeat version of kids playing house. Though humor may be subjective, it is curious that, if art reflects society, Lamont's shorts reflect 1930s U.S. reality. Baby burlesques and pre-code cinema in general during the Depression offered glimpses at other lifestyles so fictitious and fanciful that people could face the screen rather than the heavy burdens of everyday life. At least, that was primarily the case for men. Women's everyday struggles went beyond the financial challenges the Wall Street crash of 1929 created. Though they entered the workforce during World War I 
the severe economic ramifications of the Great Crash meant a reassignment to the domestic sphere for most women. Considering the temple and the reactions she elicits in the baby burlesques are the main catalysts for comic effect, the echoes of a woman's ornamental position as merely an object to be conquered, stared and laughed at are deafening. Women were not offered moments of numbness, but reminders that their existence was seen as a trivial entertainment. But besides the undeniable presence of sexism, the bar drops even lower when one looks behind the curtain. Terrible stories of children working for hours on end, and, according to Temple's book, Child Star and Autobiography, being forced to sit inside the small black box with a block of ice whenever they dared behave as any other kid would have are unveiled. And though Shirley, Georgie Smith, and Eugene Butler didn't suffer an untimely death like Dick, Joe, Ned, and Jack in William Blake's The Chimney Sweeper, Songs from Experience did, for working inside another black box, they were still treated as means to monetary ends, not only by the film production company Educational Pictures, but also by their own parents. All this speaks volumes about the careless manner in which children were, and often still are, treated in Hollywood, a mere pawn to be manipulated instead of protected. Nowadays, the baby burlesque series is defined as highly inappropriate, but the whole child-adult binary and its connection to humor didn't vanish. In Amy Heckerling's Look Who's Talking, for instance, Bruce Willis is the voice behind a newborn's consciousness. Then, Bob Clark's Baby Geniuses shows eight intelligent babies raised in a lab as part of an experiment to uncover the truth behind their high IQs. Though the genre adapted to something acceptable, it went mostly unremarked upon until it transformed into a fancier version. Rising from its ashes, the child-adult character resurfaces in Tom McGraw's Academy Award-nominated CGI animation The Boss Baby. It comes as no surprise that a baby imitating an adult in the consumerist based gear society of today comes with a suit, briefcase, and the voice of Alec Baldwin. Lacking a name, the bare minimum for an identity, and obsessed by the corner office award his promotion will grant him, Boss Baby is the paragon of modern U.S. society. Promoting the notion that value of the self stems from monetary accumulation, the cute little businessman takes seconds-long power naps, stress naps, and victory naps, and thinks his associates, a group of non-boss babies, are inadequate. The Baldwin-voiced baby even borrows and adjusts a quote from another character the actor has played in James Foley's Glengarry Glen Ross. Instead of put that coffee down, coffee's for closers only. Baby Baldwin goes where the more concise cookies are for closers when one of his team members disappoints him. After all, they're babies. Coffee isn't appropriate. But hey, I'd kill for a spicy tuna roll right about now is the epitome not only of infancy, but also a six-year-old sense of humor, especially since it's followed by throwing money to his older brother's face. That this evolved project is an animation i.e. an intangible product with the power to defy even death and the very concept of time, has two sides. On the one hand, thankfully, no child had to go through this bizarre Benjamin Button-esque version of a toned-down Jordan, Bel Jordan Belford performance. 
no corporeal child could pull this off. However, an on-screen baby that's no longer a flesh-and-bone child but a drawing brought to existence by digital means has a make-believe status that isn't just about escaping reality. It creates a distance between content and audience that allows certain things to go unnoticed because no serious consideration is usually given to a cartoonish idea. The parents in the film certainly don't. Isn't it funny that the parents never acknowledge that the baby isn't an actual baby? Haha, the joke's on us really, as this animation isn't exactly innocuous either. While it lacks the baby burlesque's hyper-sexualized plotlines that held the mirror to the 1930s sex-crazed US society, the boss baby is also a vehicle of contemporary societal reflection as it unabashedly promotes the craving of money. Even if its target audience doesn't have the capacity yet to get the sushi joke, it surely won't miss the underlying message that adulthood is about shaping up for time is money. After all, much as in the end the boss baby chooses family love over his precious private golden party and is even named Theodore Lindsay Templeton, we see the future that he never changes. He just gets taller. The sequel of The Boss Baby will emerge this September, Baldwin sharing his screen time with a female girl boss baby. Judging from the Now You Work For Me boomers comment on the trailer and other unfortunate 2021 projects, she'll most likely say something along the lines of, I'm a lioness, hear me roar. Just like humankind never really left the jungle as it keeps evolving, the child-adult character keeps shape-shifting from Temple's cabaret dancer to Baldwin's mini Wolf of Wall Street, to whatever comes next century, we shall see. If things continue to the same chaotic path, perhaps a green-haired clown baby that makes things go boom from time to time and laughs uncontrollably will appear. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash year zero cinema.